today I'm excited to kick off this series about Goliath must fall. And I want to read from Hebrews 11, 11. It says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And many of us have giants in our lives, like the story of David and Goliath, something that just seems impossible to overcome. But I, I want faith to rise in this place. And I, I believe that your victories and your giants that are falling are in the days ahead of you. I believe that some of us in this place are on the verge of breakthrough and that God is going to do amazing things in this place. And we've seen God do amazing things. And just like we sing, he hasn't failed us yet. Amen. And that our God is faithful and he gives us endurance and a way out. Our God is faithful, good. All things are possible through Christ who strengthens us. And I just want faith to rise as we believe that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Let's pray and let's enter into this new series. Dear Father, thank you so much for a time to connect with your word, to connect with your people, to connect with your spirit. Lord, I pray that faith would rise in this place as we take on our Goliaths. And we believe that Goliath must fall. That we will not be victims, but Goliath will fall. Not us. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Come on. I love it. Well, I have this question for us this morning. Remember when you were wishing for something that you currently have? Do you remember praying for something that you currently now have? Maybe you have a relationship and you went through a season where you're like, Lord, I am so single and ugly. Who is ever going to have me? But now you've got a significant other. Anybody got a significant other in this place? Anybody in love with someone next to them or around them? Come on, somebody. I love it. Remember when you were praying for what you have right now? Praying for, God, would you help me pass this test? And then you pass the test, and now you have the degree. Remember those sleepless nights when you were wondering, is this ever going to happen? I remember last year praying, Lord, would you help us start a church in Bellevue? We just moved here from Michigan. We don't know anybody. We don't have a lot of money. Would you help us? And I remember praying and fasting. Feeling like the Lord spoke to Pastor Aretha and I and a team. And I remember feeling like we are going to come to Bellevue. Our church is immediately going to reach the whole city. And one day there will be nobody that is separated from the love and reality of God in their life. It's just going to happen. So we prayed. We fasted. We bought Facebook ads. We got flyers. We got surveys. We went to the mall. We started talking to people. And then at our first meeting, a revival got moved. Three people showed up. Woohoo! And it was so discouraging. I was like, three people? There's three people in my family. My wife didn't show up to that first meeting. I was like, what is happening? Lord, would you please build the church? I want to see you move. I want to see lives change. And I just remember dreaming and wishing and hoping. At that first meeting, there was this man. I'm going to call him Mark. It's not his real name. Mark showed up to this meeting. He's like, hey, I don't know what you're doing, but you give me free coffee. I'll hang out with you. And I said, hey, you want to help us start a church? We're thinking about starting the part of the comedy club. He's like, oh, you don't want me at your church. I'm trouble. I'm like, you're exactly the kind of person we want. And then he said, well, I'm actually doing stand-up comedy at the Parlor Comedy Club open mic. 
And I said, hey, I will go with you. Because we're trying to meet people. We thought it'd be fun to speak on the stage before we started church, get used to this thing right here. And so showed up on a Tuesday night for open mic. And uh, it's a really intense environment. When, has anybody ever done an open mic? Like people are kind of nervous, come on. And they're getting ready, they're preparing, they're kind of all in their different worlds. And I, I don't know how to connect with people, so I just start writing. And uh, my name ends up on the list to do open mic. Which I'm like, okay, this is gonna be amazing. I just wanted to support this guy, but here we go. And uh, there's a, a small community of people who are trying to help each other. They're involved with each other. They have their stories down. They've heard their routines a lot. And this guy though, he's kind of new as well. And so Mark gets on the stage and he does something kind of surprising. He did not prepare any of his routines, so he decides he's gonna wing it which is a really bad idea if you don't know what you're doing. He starts winging it and uh, it's really bad. He can sense the quietness and the tension in the room. So he decides he's just gonna start looking at individuals in these chairs right here and start just making fun of them and picking them apart. And uh, okay, he's just ripping. He's like, you're dumb, you're dumb. But then he starts picking on this guy over here. And then I didn't realize this, but this guy, uh, he had just suffered from a car accident and had permanent brain damage. And so he wasn't all there, and he was trying to figure out how he was going to keep his living going on as a stand-up comic. Well, this guy has no idea, Mark, and he just starts making fun of this guy's intelligence and says, you're so slow, and you're an idiot, you're the worst comic ever. And usually in stand-up comedy worlds, it's okay to make fun of people. But because everybody knew that this guy had just suffered from an accident, they were really protective of him. Can you imagine that? How many of you are feeling a little protective of him? So he just starts making fun of him, and the whole audience hates Mark. The whole audience hates Mark, and he realizes, okay, I need to change this. He's getting in with arguments with people while on the stage, and uh, he turns his attention to me. I'm sitting there. I don't know any of these people. And uh, he decides, all right, I'm going to start talking about this guy. And he goes, hey, you see that brown guy with the beard? He's looking at me. Everybody starts looking at me. You see that brown guy with the beard? You probably think he's a terrorist. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> not, I'm not a terrorist. <laughs> Just have to clarify that to everybody. <laughs> you, go, you probably think he's a terrorist. Well, he's my pastor. <laughs> I was like, no! <laughs> Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> I'm trying to make this great impression at the parlor. I'm trying to meet people. We're trying to start a brand new church. And now this guy that everybody hates is calling me his pastor. I'm like, shut up! For a few later, don't tell anybody I'm your pastor. I just remember that night, like, what God is happening here? And, and thinking, this is hilarious, yes, but it's also mortifying. And I just remember feeling kind of defeated. Like, God, we moved our lives here. We had a dream. We had a vision. We had this plan. But now I'm just feeling a little defeated. Only three people came in the meeting, and one-third of them are calling me terrorists from stage. Like, Lord, what is happening? And I, I just wonder if any of us in this room have ever felt like, defeated, where you had this dream, 
in front of you, and it just felt like a giant, or you had a defeat or a setback, and it just felt like a giant or an addiction or something like that. And I, I just want to have faith rise in this place, believing that we can overcome giants. And I know what it's like to feel defeated and having that, that pressure. And uh, going to the scriptures in 1 Samuel 17, I can imagine that this is what the people of Israel felt like in the story of David and Goliath. Here, the Israelites had been fighting an army called the Philistines for a number of years and just had a battle after battle after battle. No matter how many times they defeated them, it felt like they just kept on coming back. And in 1 Samuel 17, the story picks up in verse 2. It says, Saul, who was the king of Israel, saw the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley in between them. And so we see this set up in the scriptures, a battle in a valley between two hills. On one hill, there are the Israelites, God's chosen people. On the other hill are the Philistines, the people who are picking a fight with Israel, and they had been warring for so long. And in the middle, there's this valley called Elah. And this valley was a place of battle, a place of death, a place that seemed really scary. And it's so funny, I was actually looking up this valley, and uh, right now this valley, and it has been for a long time, is an actual fertile valley. It's a place where they can grow tons of crops like sage and asparagus and terebinth trees and all sorts of things. And it's a place that's extremely uh, life-giving, extremely fertile, but here it's the scene for a battle that means life or death. And so there is this tension in the story. And then in verse 3 it says, I mean in verse 4 it says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his leg, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. So I, I did a little research on this. This armor is so heavy duty that just the tip of a spear would have weighed about 17 pounds. So that's pretty heavy. Altogether, biblical historians would say that this armor could have weighed as much as 700 pounds. And then other scholars would say that Goliath was between 7 feet tall and 10 feet tall. And so this is a giant. This is someone that is huge, and what he does to the people of Israel is he goes into the valley, and he says, hey, we don't all have to die on account of this war. I will go into the valley representing the Philistines. Israel, you send your best person, and we will just fight one-on-one -on -one so only one of us dies, and whoever wins that fight wins the war. And the scriptures say that for 40 days, this Goliath champion who is super tall, who has amazing armor, for 40 days, day and night, is just mocking the people of Israel. Just saying, hey, come fight me. Hey, I'm going to feed you to the birds and to the animals. Hey, you don't stand a chance against me. He says in verse 10, then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. 
give me a man and let us fight each other. And then 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. For 40 days the Philistine came forth every morning and evening and took his stand. You know, I, I believe that this giant is mocking the people of Israel and standing in between the hill they were on and the hill they wanted to take. Many of us in this room, we have giants in our lives that are standing between where we are and where we want to be. We have giants in our lives that are blocking and are obstacles to our preferred future, mocking you for 40 days maybe, for 40 nights. Have you ever noticed it feels like sometimes when you're facing a giant, it just stands at the gates and it mocks you in the morning and at night. Maybe during the day you get busy, but when you wake up in the morning, you have that anxiety, that fear. It feels like that giant's right there. And then when you go to bed at night, you can't stop thinking about it. It's like this Goliath in our lives that is just mocking us, standing in our way, hurting us, haunting us. And I, I believe that we are called to fight these battles. And many of us have been taught the lie that once you're a Christian or you go to church or you start following Jesus, the battle is like no more. It's completely over. Everything is going to be perfect in your life from now on. You will never have any problems. You will just be playing a harp and sitting on a cloud, and it will just be a great life. But I want to let you know that if you are a Christian, you have signed up for a battle. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have signed up to enter in a war. And this is a part of who we are as a Christian. We are ones who are willing to engage with the battles in our heart, engage with the battles in our life. And we have a stance that says, Goliath must fall. And I don't know what your giants are in your life. Maybe you're addicted to alcohol, where you just... Say to yourself, I'm going to get over this. I'm going to be done with this. But every time you put it away, you just find yourself back into that habit, back into that darkness. Maybe your giant is a financial debt that you just can't understand how it got there, and you don't know how you're going to get away from it, but it's like, how am I going to pay rent? How am I going to get rid of these loans? How am I going to pay for food? How am I going to pay for these bills and these things that haunt me? Maybe it's a sickness. Where you're like, I'm just sick of being sick. I'm sick of having this throat issue or I'm sick of having this back issue. I'm sick of worrying, when am I going to go to the hospital again? Maybe it's your relationship. You're like on the verge of a divorce and you're like, I don't know that my marriage will ever recover. And it feels like there's this, this giant that's just mocking you and threatening you and saying your marriage will not make it. You don't have a chance. Maybe it's loneliness and you have a giant at your door saying, hey, you are never going to be loved. You are never going to have a special someone. You are always going to be by yourself, hashtag forever alone. And you're like these giants in my life. Maybe there's a giant of a dead dream in your life or a, a flickering dream in your life where you're thought, you thinking like, I'm this age, I thought I'd be doing this kind of thing with my life, that I would have started a business, or I would have had this degree, or I would be in the ministry, and somewhere along the line, your dreams have died, and this giant is just kind of mocking you and haunting you. And I, I believe, though, 
that we in Christ can see giants fall. I believe that your best days can be ahead of you, and I really believe that Goliath must fall. And that's what this series is all about, where we're going to talk about this idea of the Goliaths in our lives falling. How many of you guys have a giant that needs to fall? I believe it. Even right now, I want you to just maybe just close your eyes and ask the Lord, what's a giant in my life that needs to fall? And I want hope to rise in this place. Hope to rise. So then the story picks up. There's this giant mocking the people of Israel. And then verse 17, a man named David, actually a boy named David, shows up. And he's just a little shepherd boy. And he's not even at the war. He had been taking care of sheep. He was the youngest of his brothers. He was not in the war. And as he's taking care of his sheep, his dad approaches him and says, hey, why don't you bring some food to the soldiers who have been camped out near this valley for 40 days? In 17, it says, his father Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses, come on somebody, to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. And so David goes to the scene of the battle. He's just a boy, just a shepherd. He has a lot of cheese, 10 cheeses. I don't know if it's 10 individually wrapped cheeses that are the same. I don't know if he's got some Gouda and some, you know, pepper jack and some, say it, say it, yeah. Some feta, brie. I don't know if they're 10 individual types of cheese. Come on. How many? We're having church in this place. God of the cheese. And uh, <laughs> now my lactose intolerant people said, <laughs> My wife goes, Aw. One day, one day that giant will fall. <laughs> so he, he brings these cheese, cheeses, cheese eye to the battle. And uh, <laughs> he, he sees what's happening, and David starts getting, like, stirred. He's like, how dare this Philistine defy the armies of God? How, how dare he, he go after the people and mock the people of God? This is not okay. So David, he starts overhearing the soldiers talk about what will happen to the person who defeats this giant. And he hears that. They'll be given a great amount of wealth by King Saul. They will be given his daughter in marriage. And they will be tax-free for the rest of their life. How many of you guys want that prize? <laughs> and so David, he overhears this. And then immediately, he gets obsessed with the prize and the reward. And he starts following up with people. And he goes, hey, whoa, whoa. What will happen to the person who gets this giant kill. And he asks again over and over about this prize. And so finally, the king overhears that there's this young boy who's interested in fighting, and he's given an opportunity to fight the giant. And the king Saul says, hey, you're young. You can't fight this giant. But then David says something amazing. He says, hey, when I was a shepherd, I protected my sheep from a lion. I killed it. I protected my sheep from a bear killed it, and now I trust that God will help me take down the giant, just like he helped me in the past, just like we talked about a couple weeks ago. If God helped me then, he can do it again, because our God is faithful. Amen? And so David has this bold faith to take down a giant because of the victories in his past, 
And I'm not going to go into the rest of the story and what happens to the giant. If you haven't heard the story, nobody spoil it for them. <laughs> Something happens to the giant. It's going to be crazy. And uh, Pastor Amrith will pick up the story next week. But I want us to learn some things that David did in a way he like composed himself as he was facing a giant in our lives. And many of us raise our hands saying, there's a giant in my life and it needs to be taken down. And I want us to learn from the perspective and the posture of the attitude David has as he approached this giant. And so the first thing he did was David focused on the cause, not the giant. David focused on the cause. I love it. When David first approaches the scene, he talks to his brother. Remember, he's supposed to bring Jesus to his brother, Eliab. And Eliab says, hey, you're so conceited. Why did you leave your few sheep to watch this battle? He thought David just wanted to observe and see the fighting. I mean, we got people here who love watching MMA and stuff like that, Moses, right? We got some people who love watching a good fight. David's brother confronts him and says, hey, you are conceited. You just came out here to watch a fight. But David, he, he didn't focus on that. He focused not just on watching a fight, he was upset that this giant was defying the armies of God. And so he starts saying, hey, hey, you're just an uncircumcised Philistine giant. You don't dare defy God. We want God to get all the glory, not this giant. And then David, he gets more and more obsessed with this reward like I talked about. I believe it says three times that David is like, hey, what happens to the person who defeats this giant? What happens to this person who defeats this giant? What happens who defeats this giant? What happens? What happens? And he's obsessed with the preferred future. And I want to encourage you all, as you're facing your giants, let's be like David and not just focus on the giant that's in front of us, but let's focus on the preferred future that God has for us. Let's focus on the good things God has planned for those who love him. In fact, we need to do what I tell my son all the time. We need to keep our eye on the prize. You know, I have a two-year-old son, and a lot of times I try to throw him a little, little like ball, rubber ball, and he tries to catch it. But what he does is he closes his eyes and turns his head away and then tries to grasp it. Anybody catch like that in this place? You're like, you know, hey, throw me the keys. Throw me the keys. Someone throws you the keys, and you're like, hmm. <laughs> you run away from that. <laughs> Why do you do that? And so my son, he will close his eyes and turn his way, eyes away from looking at the ball, looking at the prize. And because of that, it falls. And I think David taps into a principle of keeping his eye on the prize. He's obsessed with the preferred future. He's not making decisions out of fear. He's making decisions out of how could things be. And with your marriages... You might be thinking, oh, this problem is so big. Oh, this problem is here. We keep on arguing. We keep on having the same conversation. We keep on spending money like this. But what if we stopped looking and glorifying these giants and these problems, and we said, oh, man, this wife is going to be my wife that I love with all of my heart. You know what? I think that this marriage is going to be the best that I can make it. I'm going to focus on it. I'm going to build it. Yeah, the grass is 
Greener on the other side, maybe, but I believe that the grass is always greener where it's watered. So I'm going to start focusing my attention on this marriage, not this problem. I'm going to focus my attention on the preferred future and not just my defeats, amen? And the, I, I kind of want to talk about a preferred future and a giant that I'm dealing with right now. And this kind of is a transition into uh, a phrase that involves the hot goss, which is short for hot gossip. How many of you guys know we have hot gossip today? <laughs> short for hot gossip. There's this phrase I've been really thinking about. As David isn't comfortable, he's obsessed with the preferred future. He's obsessed with a reward. There's this phrase that I've been really chewing on lately, and it's this phrase, current success is a threat to future success. Current success is a threat to future success. Now, the people of Israel, they had had success to the Philistines, but now we see them camped out for 40 days, camped out so long that they're getting cheese, 10 types of cheese. They were comfortable in this valley, and I think they grew a little comfortable listening to the giant mocking them. They grew a little comfortable, camped out while the giant day and night made fun of them. And some of us, we get comfortable with our giants. We just kind of camp out, we're eating cheese, listening to the giants defy us and God. In our current success, we've seen God move in our lives in the past, we got saved, but now we just don't have the fight within us to do any more battling. And we just kind of rely on our testimonies from way back when, instead of testimonies from today, or last week, or last month. I mean, if your testimonies are stale, your faith is probably stale. Because testimonies require a now faith, and current success is the enemy of future success. And I, I just believe that there's a giant in Bellevue of unbelief falling. I believe that there's a giant in this region of people being afraid of the church that's falling. I believe that there's a giant falling in our region, the giant of apathy and doubt and atheism and paganism. I believe that those giants are falling. But we as Kalos Church cannot rely on our past success. We have to step forward and see the reward in order to see current success. You following with me? And so I, I, I'm reminded of the story in Luke 15, it's about how the good shepherd is willing to leave the 99 and go after the one. And for it says this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so I love this, that the good shepherd, he doesn't just stay content with past success, the 99. He's looking for the one. In fact, he's willing to leave current success, the 99, to go after future success. You tracking with me? And he says, hey, I love these 99. I love that they're worshiping. 
I love that they're safe. I love that they're being fed. I love that they're worshiping God in a comedy club. I love that they're making known the beauty of Jesus. But we can never forget about the one who doesn't have community, about the one who doesn't know true life, about the one who doesn't have purpose, about the one who doesn't know the beauty of Jesus. Amen? And so I, I believe that Kalo's church is in a transition right now. You know, last year, we, yeah, we did have three people, but then our first service on September 17th was 234 people. We saw God do amazing things, and even right now, this is a summer service, and we've got a great community present here right now. And I believe in the fall, we're going to have at least 100 more people show up looking to find God, looking to see the beauty of Jesus, and we need to make room for them, amen? We need to make room to say, hey, I'm going to leave for 99, past success, the 234, launching a church and a comedy club. I need to not just rest, but I need to continue to be like the good shepherd and go after the one. We didn't start a church here in Bellevue so that we could just become a holy huddle, huddle and cuddle, where we could just simply take care of each other, but we could be the church and take care of this community. Amen? And so I believe that on September 16th, we have an opportunity as we celebrate our one-year birthday. Yeah, we could just pat ourselves on the shoulder and say, hey, God did something amazing. But I believe at least 100 more people are going to show up on our birthday. And here's what we want to do to take advantage of that. Here are the infrastructures we want to build to take advantage of that. On September 16th, we are going to, as a community, launch a second service so that we can reach people for the glory of God and make known the beauty of Jesus. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we want to make a place so that as we pray and fast, as we pray for more people to get involved, as we pray for laborers in the harvest, as we pray that God would use us to reach people, that we would have a vision of a preferred future. Just like David was obsessed with the reward, we're obsessed with the one. We're obsessed with reaching people for the glory of God. And so on September 16th, we're going to launch a 945 service, and we're going to launch an 1130 service. And we believe that that extra service is going to make room so that more people feel comfortable. Because how many of you guys know that only worship leaders and pastors like overcrowded rooms? When we walk into movie theaters, we want our elbow room. When we walk into a movie theater, we're not like, oh, thank the Lord, someone's sitting right next to me to my left and to my right. And as this room is more than like 80% filled, people feel intimidated coming with their groups or with people. And so I believe a second service will help us to reach more people. Additionally, we have an amazing kids ministry headed up by Brent and Michelle Spore. There's Brent Spore over there. So amazing. And they've been given the amazing chance to be the church with the kids. They aren't just preparing for church one day. Kalos Kids is the church right now. Amen. But we have these amazing kids workers and volunteers that right now, they have to choose between... Am I going to serve the kids on a Sunday morning, or am I going to be in the adult service with my friends and things like that? And with two services, 
we can make an environment where people can breathe in and breathe out on the same service, where they can serve the kids but also be part of the adult gathering and have sermons and have worship that encourages them and speaks to them because it's not healthy when you're only breathing in, amen? It's not healthy, but it's not healthy either when you're only breathing out, amen? And so we want to create a healthy culture for all of our dream team at Kalos Church where we can breathe in and breathe out for the glory of God, amen? And so that's going to be possible when we have two services. And I believe that as we reach out with two services, we're going to reach more people. But I also believe it's going to help us create an environment where we can take care of the team we already have. In fact, if you're on the dream team, could you raise your hand? If you're someone who helps make Kalos possible, could you raise your hand? Can we give these guys a round of applause? I mean, come on, Tech Booth. You guys can raise your hand. I mean, we have amazing people who are serving here every week. But I, I want a church that says, hey, we don't find our identity by just serving. But sometimes we can just receive, and sometimes we can give. But in order for that to happen, it means all of us are going to have to join hands and not let just this dream team work. But my prayer is that all of us could be like David and uh, see a preferred future for Caleb's church. Where we would say, hey, I, I see the potential to reach more people. I see the need to reach people in the Seattle region. And I, I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part. I can see the reward of souls. I want to be like the good shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Do you see a preferred future for Kalos Church? But at the same time, I want you to see a preferred future for your own life and your own giant. And I, I believe that as we continue the series, we're going to get more practical and more strategic with how we can see the giants fall in your life. But I, I just want us to believe that the giants can't fall. I want us to believe that our marriages can't get better. I want us to have hope in the things unseen, that our finances can get better, our sickness can get better, our children can get better, our, our, our relationship status can be better, that we can trust God with the most painful parts of our lives. And faith will live in my heart. And I just believe that we're going to step out in bold moves as a community, as Kayla's Church, but we're going to step out boldly in your life as well. And we don't believe that just tweaks change the world, but bold moves change the world. And so we're going to step out in faith. Amen? So two services are coming, and uh, I want to ask you this question, and we'll pray. <laughs> but we, last year, yeah, we had three people, then we had five people. And then about 50 people joined our dream team. And then we had our first service on September 17th where 234 people showed up. And it was amazing. Lives have been changed. Marriages have been healed. People who are suicidal changed their mind and found purpose in God. And you guys trusted us and dreamed with us for a preferred future. Kalos Church, I just want to make an ask of one of the pastors here at Kalos Church. Will you dream again with us? You dreamed with us last year that God would do amazing things. But will you dream with us again that as we launch a second service, we'll reach more people? Will you dream with us again? Will you believe with us that God has a plan for Seattle? 
that God has a plan for our families and our work? Will you dream again for the giants in your life? Will you dream again for your marriage? Will you dream again for the dreams that God has placed in your life? Will you dream again for your children? Will you dream again for your career? Will you dream again when it comes to your addictions? Will you dream again? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear Father, I just thank you so much for this community. And as we launch the second service, as we launch a campaign to see giants fall in our lives and in our region, Lord, I pray that you give us the faith, that you give us hope to step forward, Father, in the name of Jesus. We pray.